What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Matt Liner and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Forget Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap. Claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USC is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio. This is the CarCast after USC's 30 to 27 loss. The BYU Cougars in Provo on the road in overtime. Keaton Slovis's first start on the road. All of that. We're going to get into it here on this episode. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. How do we get into this thing? Uh, first of all, SC going and playing an overtime game. Overtime just feels so... I feel like so many other schools play overtime games all the time. And I was trying to think, like, I can't remember the last overtime game that SC has played. Well, it had to have been Texas, right? Oh, yeah. 2017 Texas? The Texas game, But before that, before 2017 Texas, the only one I remember aside from that is uh, 2011 Stanford. Stanford, yeah. So, like, we're talking about in almost 10 years, we can count, I mean, it's now three. So, no, it's very rare. And I think USC doesn't do overtime well. Like... Maybe it's because it's so much more fun to watch overtime games when it's random team that you're the neutral watching and and all of that kind of stuff where like USC went to overtime and I texted somebody like I don't want to go to overtime. I just don't want to see this. I, I this game just let it be over. Let it be over and have a result and mercifully in a weird way. That's kind of what we got, right? Uh, only one overtime. I was asked on the sideline by a shotgun sprattling of USCBowl.com, like, how many overtimes is it going to be? And I was like, it's going to be something stupid like four. Just going to extend the, the right. day. I, I thought I thought it for a second, yeah. yeah. And, and then you get to overtime, and it was over super lickety split. Well, and it looked like it, it, looked like it was going to go to second overtime. 
USC had the yeah. third and long, and you figured like, yeah, maybe they'll convert this, but m- more likely they're going to fall short and they're going to kick the field goal and then it's going to, you know, live to fight another day. That's obviously not what happened, but like it was set up for that. And I didn't need, <laughs> I didn't need that in my, okay. Anyone who attended this game knows what I'm talking about. It was stupid hot, which doesn't make any sense because Utah so far in this trip has been absolutely gorgeous. Now, granted, I haven't spent a lot of time outdoors. The brief times outdoors I've had, it's been perfect weather. And then we get to the stadium and it's just beating down just the sun, unrelenting hot. And that's, I think that that's something that maybe played into the game. I know that I heard the, um, the sideline reporter for ESPN talking about how the defense looked tired and they look gassed. And uh, my observation was the same thing. It's just like, it, you mean Tom Luganbill? Yeah, uh, whatever. You his didn't name recognize is. Tom Luganbill? I knew it was Tom Lugan, Luganbill, whatever. I don't know how to say his name. Also, he his annoys, dad coached Georgia Tech. He annoys the crap what a out national of me. Title. He, he and when I say he, I mean like the he of all sideline reporters annoy the crap out of me because as a photographer on the sideline, and I know no one wants to hear this in the carcass, but I'm going to say it anyways. Um, as a photographer on the sideline, my sightlines are kind of important to me. And when sideline reporters who are not beholden to the rules of you got to stay behind the dotted line thing that we're all beholden to as photographers, they get to step all the way out up to the edge of the field and take away my sightline to the game. And it's like first world problems. But all he's doing is standing there watching the game. If he took two steps backwards, he could watch the the game in the same way and not be in my way. But we digress. Okay, It was hot. It was hard on the people on the sideline. It must have been harder on the guys on the field actually exerting themselves in in the way that you would exert yourself in a football game. And then on top of that, you consider – and this is sounding like I'm making excuses. Trust me, guys. I'm not. I'm just explaining, like setting the stage here. Um, Being at altitude, you definitely feel it. Um, You know, you feel it slightly different and it just – the heat hits you harder. So that made it a little bit less unpleasant, a little mm-hmm. bit more unpleasant, which was part of the reason why when they tied the game, it was like, God, just just let this be over. Like, I'm tired. I'm done. No more. No mas. Let's just let's just go. And that's obviously not what happened until it did happen because USC um, gave me my wish and had an interception to end overtime. And that was fun. Yeah, it it was one of those weird games because going into overtime, I felt like SC, and I'm just now putting together this idea. Like, I felt this, but I just figured it out. SC was BYU, and BYU was SC. In the sense that BYU was the team in this this game making the big plays. The team that you were afraid was going to... Any play could be a touchdown, right? Mm -hmm. They were were the... Zach Wilson... Running around in circles, doing his best Johnny Manziel slash Donovan McNabb impersonation. And SC couldn't get him down. And then he'd find an open guy downfield or whatever it was. And whereas SC was the ugly run for two yards, run for three yards, hope you get a field goal. And then you get to the third, to, to the overtime. And I'm thinking SC's best bet here is to get a three and out and get a missed field goal and take all the pressure off. And then they make the field goal, and I'm thinking, normally, I with USC's offense going into this game, I would have thought, you hold BYU to a field goal on the, t- the top half of the inning in, in overtime, that's a win. Well, you, you should be able to score, and but yet, the way this game went, and we're going to talk about this, 
the running game, as much as people want to say that the running game, that they should have ran more and all that stuff, the running game was not good in this game. I'm sorry, it was not. The passing game, the ultimate, I don't want to say Jekyll and Hyde because there weren't that many highs. The, 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 the passing game was efficient at times when it was good. It wasn't explosive. It was very efficient. We saw that on the first drive. Whenever Keaton Slovis looked good, he was throwing to wide open guys. He was doing all the things that you like about the air raid. When that wasn't happening, the passing game was horrific. It was him scrambling out and having nowhere to throw. It was him throwing into triple coverage. And so you end up in this game where all of a sudden SC feels like they're just having to pray to win this game at the end, which is just weird and not, not what you expected going into it. And I, I give a lot of credit to BYU in what they were able to do. They really laid the blueprint for how to beat this defense. And I, I'm not going to say it's how to beat an air raid. It's how to beat what USC was doing. Because, I, you know, I've, I've seen takes on Twitter that this is why the air, this is why you don't want to have an air raid offense. Guys, Oklahoma made the playoff with this offense. Yeah. They were the, the most, the historically, essentially the greatest offense of all time last year with this offense, including being the number one running team in the country with this offense. So don't don't look at this game as an indictment of the air raid. This was an indictment of how USC ran it because what happened was BYU goes into this super coverage, you know, like cloud coverage thing where they drop everybody back into zone coverage and they only rush three, sometimes they rush four, and they were baiting USC into running the ball. And that's why you see USC run the ball so much in this game. I mean, they ran the ball 45 times. They ran the ball 45 times. They had 34 pass attempts. You never would have imagined that going into this game. And yet SC never ran effectively for a consistent stretch. They'd have a drive where the run, that one running drive in the second quarter looked great. When they were, you know, getting big runs from Marquis Step and from Vimal Pei and things were going right. But after that... They weren't consistently getting any run game, and so they were con- continuing to want to run the football because in the passing game, Keaton Slovis was really off. He throws three interceptions. Yeah, but that inconsistency, is that a, not, not a word that we've been throwing around for years when it yeah, comes to and, USC? And it and comes back to the, the offensive line. Thank you. Thank you. What was the difference between this game and last game? What was the difference between 2017 Stanford and all of 2017? The offensive line underperformed. And the frustrating thing about this game is you get into this game and you trick yourself into believing that the offensive line did pretty well against Fresno State and the issues were the skill position players making big mistakes. And then against Stanford, they really dominated and it looked great. And But you got to BYU, a team with a veteran front, with a, a, a team that knows who they are, that knows what they're doing, and... The problem is your next two games, your next three games are against uh, against a, a Utah team that knows what it is, that knows what it's doing, and a Washington team that's going to go out there and, and, and have a defense that knows it, what they are and what they're doing. And then you're going to face Notre Dame, which is all of the, the above, plus a hell of a lot more talent than either of the other two teams. So BYU was supposed to be the game where USC proved to us little that, that little step that we talked about. And that, instead, that marquee step. Well, that big step, uh, that guy. But um, it was supposed to be okay. So you proved that you could do this against Fresno State, and you could do this against Stanford. Now do it against a BYU, 
And they failed that test and they failed it in the trenches. And that is a huge concern because this only works if you're getting a minimum of consistency from your offensive line. You talk about how the running game wasn't good. Well, the running game was good when when it was good and it was bad when it was bad. But that's typical of USC in the past few years where you have one running play that works perfectly and you see what they can do. They rip off 15 yards and you're like, great, why can't they do that every play? And then the next game, the next uh, the next play, you flip a coin. Is someone going to be in the backfield this time? Well, who knows? We're about to find out. It's like a box of chocolates with the freaking offensive line. And that's what makes it so frustrating because you can't be efficient if you flip a coin and potentially your offensive line is going to fall apart, which is why Keaton Slovis looked the way he did. And this is what I talked about last year with JT Daniels of I worried that USC's offensive line had ruined JT Daniels because after so many times of seeing the offensive line crumble the way that they do, you get nervous and you start to think every play I need to get, get I need to go. I need to go. I need to go. And to me, that's what what I think happened with Keaton is that you lose confidence in your offensive line and then all of a sudden... That's what I'm going to push back. I will hear, hear the idea that the offensive line did not run block, uh, you know, consistently because I really don't think they did. I, I think that if you if you look at the averages from you know uh, Marquis Step and Vavai Malapai, and you know Step was at five point nine yards and Vavai was at four point two. I think a lot of that is pertains to how effectively the blocking was for those guys. I don't think that, you know, and we're going to get into this a little bit more because it's one of the things that we talked about on the car ride back to the Airbnb. Sorry, Sorry Keely. Keely. Um, but, you know, the the run blocking was inconsistent and the pass blocking was inconsistent. But to say that Keaton Slovis's struggles in this game pertain to the offensive line, I'm not going to hear. Well, I'm uh, not going to hear. No, that. no, I agree. Keaton had the freshman game that we were worried about. He was he would making have. Poor, th- poor throws but, and poor reads even when he had protection. Right. But if you have a better offensive line performance, then you can say, screw it. We're just going to run the ball every play. And then right, you take all the pressure would, off of him. But like sure. you said, what happened is they tried to run the ball. And they couldn't consistently run the ball, so they had to be in situations where, well, we can't just lean on the run game, so Keaton's going to have to go out there and throw. And they didn't do a good job of protecting him from himself in that case. And that's partly Keaton screwing up, and that's also partly not... I mean, we we talked about this. If you can't run the ball and you can't throw the ball inside, then bubble screen them to death. Until you force them to come up and then hit them over the top. Do anything like that. Was there a single bubble screen? Was there a single wide receiver screen in this game? I can't think of one. I really can't think of a screen that SC ran at all in this game. And, you know, I go back to the third quarter. Uh, SC runs 10 plays. Nine of them are runs. One is a pass. And that one pass is a shovel pass, which works like a run anyway. So I, I think that... You know, BYU is baiting SC to run the football. And SC is taking them up on that because they have the numbers advantage. And that's what you should be doing. The problem is that they were, even with the numbers advantage, they, they weren't getting pushed the up num- front. Well, again, it wasn't a, doing it. It's an execution offense. So the numbers advantage, in theory, you have five blockers and five guys to block. So in theory, five, got five blockers make their blocks on the five guys who they're supposed to block. And then you have an opening, right? But if two of the five are missing their block or losing their one-on-one battle, then you're going to lose the play. So again, it comes back to execution. And it comes back to execution in the trenches. 
and USC just didn't have it. Not on a consistent basis in this game. Which is why I agree with you that the adjustment to make there, and you know, they made a hell of an adjustment in the second quarter to go to this run first attack. Uh, which was which is really good to see because it changed things up, took pressure off of Keaton Slovis. Yeah, the, they the, couldn't the problem continue was to throw him out. That there. BYU kind of adjusted to the run a little bit, sort of, kind of, and then they just couldn't keep you know doing that for the rest of the game. But to me, where the where the adjustment should have been made is on the run first drive in the second quarter where they tie the game up. It's a brilliant drive. They go seventy six yards. Sixty four of those are earned by the running backs. Whether it be as a run or a screen or a little, not a screen pass, but like a, a little dump off. Swing, swing pass, dump yeah. off, whatever it is. All of that was with, with the running back. 64 of those 76 yards. And it was a great drive. So many of those runs had the tight ends out there blocking in front. And I thought this is so interesting because that was a mainstay of what they did last year. But SC wasn't always successful with it because Tyler Petit struggled in a lot of areas, right? And and they didn't use Crowman Hulk enough, and Follow would struggle with his blocks too, right? And th- then you look at it this year, and to see them actually do that and be able to have success with the tight ends blocking out in front, it was like, wow, this is kind of cool. Then they went away from it. And you didn't really see the tight ends out there blocking in front as lead blockers, as, as little mini... Mini fullbacks? Mini fullbacks, yeah. yeah. You didn't really see them go back to that until like the fourth quarter. And and so in this third quarter where they run 10 plays and they shut out BYU in the third quarter. It's 17-17 and a half. They come out in the third quarter. There's no score at all in the third quarter by either team. One of those patented 2018-2017 play home third quarters. Well, and this is why it's so frustrating. Right. Insert rant from Fresno State here. And from every other car cast in the history of all of the car cast, right? Yes. Yes. Perfect. But that's the opportunity to be able to just put together one drive. And I don't think impose it's... Impose your will. In, impose your will and do something. And and those runs in the third quarter, I thought were too timid. Uh, the first drive is the little draw play that was... Was that the, was the, that the dra- drive when... Um, because Marquis Step doesn't get any any runs in the, get, in the third quarter, yes. but but Steve, but uh, Vi Malapai was injured by that point. I, I want to say Vi had the first drive, and then Carr had the next. And then two. Carr, Carr, I think Carr gets the majority of the run in the third quarter, if I yeah. remember correctly. And Carr, yes. Carr can be a heck of a running back, but he suffers from when he starts dancing, he dances two times as, as much as he should. Right, but my my point in the third quarter is which is why those runs look timid. Is it well? Not only that, but like the 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 draw play sets USC back, and all of a sudden you go from first and ten to second and eleven, and then they immediately go back to a run up the middle with Carr that gets nothing. Yeah. So then you're at third and ten, third and eleven, third and nine, whatever it was, it was minimal, right? So you're at third and long, and then you're forcing Keaton Slovis to make a play, and. Keaton Slovis might make that play. He might not. You shouldn't rely on him to make every third nine, just yeah. like you shouldn't rely on every any team to make every third nine. And those are the positions that USC was was putting Slovis in and, and really putting the team in in the third quarter because they just weren't able to effectively run the football. Yeah, and, and it was frustrating to me because I saw so many people on you know on on Twitter and and. In our Slack channel, run the ball more. Run the, they're trying to run the ball. Yeah. And they're not able to do that. They're not able to get any push up front. I saw so many calls for, for Marquis Step. 
I don't know that he would have solved the issue. No, I don't think so either. Because so many of the things that I was thinking that, you know, would have helped would have been, you know, if you're not winning those battles when you have the number advantage, it doesn't matter who the running back is. And it doesn't matter who the running back is in this offense. Well, and just even more so than the quarterback. The quarterback obviously matters more because of how many throws can Keaton Slovis make versus, right. you know, Matt Fink or Decisions whatnot. But, making and all. But all of these running backs are good enough to make well, every play look good if the blocks are there and they're good enough to spring a long run. All of them. If you put them into position position to succeed, all three of them. I mean, this yeah. I put it on I put on Twitter um, that someone needs to make me the distract distracted boyfriend uh, meme where um, USC fans are the distracted boyfriend. The uh, woman walking by is Marquis Step, and the um, the girlfriend is Vi Malapai running his heart out. And somebody responded to that, and I think this sums up my entire feeling about this running back rotation. Somebody responded to that, girls, you're both pretty. And like that's USC has three really pretty running backs. They're all going to give you something a little bit different. Sure, Stephen Stephen Carr gets really frustrating. Went frustrating when he dances, but Stephen Carr is by far the the most dangerous weapon for USC in the passing game. Um, so you, that's why you have him out there as a running back. Yes, as a running back. Yes, Vavai Malapai does a little bit of everything well, and he can put some power on there. He can he can uh, ha- his vision is is quite good, and he can catch the ball out of the backfield, make somebody miss out on the outside. You like that, Marquis Step. Maybe what you're getting, you're not getting any of that catching ability. You're you're you have a liability in in pass defense if you need him back there. Um, and he fumbled in this game. So again, there are reasons to not put Marquis Step in there. But the tr- the 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 prettiness of Marquis Step. So those are his flaws. But the 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 pros of Marquis Step is that maybe he breaks the tackle, where Vi and Stephen Carr dance because they see a defender coming and they shimmy and see if they can break him. And both of them, and particularly Kara, what I think their problem is, they shimmy to get out, get away from the first guy, but that means they are a, a still target for the second guy who comes in, and that's why they get caught. Where Step, if the numbers advantage is working out the same way that we talked about, and Step carries the ball, he's not going to try and shimmy past the guy who, 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 who first guy that comes at him. That first guy's going to hit him, and it's a 50-50. Is Carr going to break that ca- t- tackle? He might. But you're still going to be in a situation where... He's not gonna be your 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 savior in this because he has a limited. Uh, all of these guys have limited capacity if the offensive line is letting somebody through into the backfield, which the latter um, uh, drives that that uh, step got. You saw that his average drops. Everyone's talking about oh, eleven yards per carry. Well, he ends with a uh, five point nine yards per carry. Why is that? Because he gets stuffed on a couple runs. Because that's what happens when your offensive line doesn't give you a lane. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty of things to cover on this car cast. Uh, we've gotten to a bunch of them. We're going to get to some more, including I have the most insane stat that I'm, I'm looking at the, the stat broadcast um, uh, stats that, that we get access to as media. And I, I have no idea how this is a real stat, but it's a stat. Uh, I will enlighten everybody when we come right back. We'll take a quick break. All right, Alicia. How many rushing yards do you think Zach Wilson had in this game? Oh, we had an over under on this. I have the stat. I mean, the stat sheet next to me. I'm don't, not going to look at look, it. Don't look at it. Okay, how many rushing yards did Zach Wilson have? I don't think he actually ran. He he had a couple of runs. He got he got sacked. I think one or two times. Let's say he had forty three. 
No. Less. A lot he less? He had more receiving yards in this game than rushing yards. When did he catch a pass? In the in the first quarter. He oh. got a pass in the first quarter on a little uh, um, trick play, wildcat thingamajig. Uh, he had 19 receiving yards and 10. 10 rushing yards! Well, that's uh, what was our over under for the? Uh, it was twenty seven and a half. We both took the over. See, he lost twenty seven yards on sacks, but he gained thirty seven yards total. There you go. Yeah, so it was, it was pretty good. No, okay. Can we talk about Zach Wilson for a second? Because yeah, that's ridiculous that he had more receiving yards than than rushing yards. Zach Wilson. This was so interesting to me because in the week I got a chance to talk to Chad Kahaha, USC's defensive line coach, and and I asked him about. You know, um, if uh, when you're dealing with a running quarterback, like what, how do you balance the aggression that you want to have with your pass rush with the uh, with the knowledge that he could just take off and run? And Chad K explained to me that that you know there are things that you can do to make sure that you're staying on top of 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 keeping him you know clean in the pocket and, and getting at him, but you need to avoid not rushing him you need to avoid what he called like a jail cell um uh, pass rush which is basically like your pass rushing but from behind the bars of a jail jail cell where you're where you're just sort of like staying in front but quarterbacks will pick you off that way if you do that you know good quarterbacks especially will do that so in some way it's better to just get at him than to play off so it was really interesting to me in this game because and i'll see about this on rewatch it felt like they were doing the jail cell pass rush where they weren't ripping loose. Like every once in a while, you'd see a guy get in. Drake Jackson has that really good um, sack and Connor Murphy got close a couple times. Hunter Eccles got close, got, had a sack too. But like more often than not, I just saw guys, you know, get up on their man and then just either they were either they were getting beat so badly that they weren't getting around any of, of BYU's offensive linemen or they were just playing off. Yeah, the interesting thing was I thought, you know, Zach Wilson beats USC in this game. They had no answers for him. But and, and in a lot of ways we talked about it that he in in the in general, he performed how we thought it would work if Zach Wilson was good Zach Wilson. Well, he was Jorge Reyna with the ability to hit passes downfield. Yes. And we saw a lot of that. But as much as we want to say that, you know, he he killed SC with with the legs, which he does on that t- that touchdown run, which I think was his longest run, the sixteen yarder. Yeah. Um. But it was really how he was able to throw the football, which was kind of I, I guess if you're Clancy Pendergast, that's the bet that you make that you want him to beat you with his arm and not his legs. Yeah, but he did. Uh, but he he still beat you with both. Yeah. Um, and I thought he made a couple of incredible um, passes. The one, the touchdown, in the second quarter. The, the one that beats Chase Williams. Yeah, I, I don't. Chase Williams, Chase I guess, is, can be a little closer there. He's but then just it, a then, split second late. Like that split second late. But I don't think it's a poor play from Chase no, Williams. It, but it's, it's such a perfect a pass. Tiny little margin. Yeah, it's if, just a if, tiny if that was little margin. Slovis, we'd be like raving about, raving the, pass. about the pass. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And again, that's 100%. the thing we always have to remember is that the other team is trying to do good things too. And like Wait, sometimes. What? I mean, yeah, it's not just USC going up against computers, but no, I, I've, I, again, with DBs, I find it so hard to evaluate because I feel bad for Chase Williams there. He's in position. He's just a split second late, split second. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know. I, 
I, I told you we were walking out of the stadium and, you know, on, on our ride home. Sorry, Keely. Sorry, Keely. Um, but the idea that this defense, and, and as exposed as this defense was with, with Zach Wilson, this defense gave up 27 points in regulation. For as exposed as they did. Yeah. As they got. They gave up 27 points. 10 of those are on a short field because of two interceptions by Keaton Slovis in the first quarter. Yes. 27 points. It's this You defense- should be able to win this game with the offense that USC has, with the playmakers that they have, despite the defense, which ends up being Big 12 bad. If that's the if that's the point, like there's enough firepower on this offense, there's enough manpower in in scheme and everything to have a situation where you score 35 to 40 points at least every single week. And you can allow yourself to have these breakdowns and take so much pressure off of Clancy Pendergast. And this is not keeping for Clancy Pendergast. No. It's like what we've talked about. Like, Clancy Pendergast is not perfect. You need an offense to supplant that and take it take away the, the, the impact of how imperfect Clancy he Pendergast is. is sufficient. And sure. this gets to the big question if we always ha- have. If you have an offense. If you have an offense. This performing. The, the frustrating thing about this team is if they were just Big 12 bad, it would be okay. Like, it right. wouldn't be okay because well, they're not going to compete for national titles, but they if, could win the Pac-12 being Big 12 if, bad. If they're Big 12 bad, they score in overtime, and then you get out of this game, and the entire narrative changes. Well, oof, no, if they're, if they're Big 12 bad, they score more than three offensive touchdowns. We're back to the sure. USC who, if they score three offensive, t- this is the, this is the defense. This is our raw index, sort of mini raw index, the, the spirit of the raw index, right? When you score three offensive touchdowns, you put yourself in position to, to lose. When you score more than three offensive touchdowns, you win games. When was, I want to look and find, I'll, maybe this will be a project for me this week. When was the last time USC lost a game in which they scored four or more offensive touchdowns? It might be a while. Because I can't think of one. Off the top of my head, no. I mean, SC loses games 30 to 27. They yeah. lose games 24 to They don't lose games 45 to, four, to, yes. to 50. And, and you could, like, like we've said before, like you could live with those shootouts. Um, mostly because if SC's in those shootouts, well, at least odd, it would be fun. At least it would be fun. But the odds are that SC would be the team on top with, with as much offensive firepower as they have. You didn't see that in this game because Keaton Slobus did not have the best game of, you know, his life, certainly. Well, uh, and okay. We, we had lowered the expectations right. well, for, we had for Keaton Slovis in this game. We tried to, to to warn people that Keaton Slovis played a perfect game against Stanford. And he wasn't going he to wasn't do, gonna that do that again. At the same time, I don't know that we expected three interceptions. No. In the, in the pattern that they were. And yes, there were tip balls, the, the the one in overtime especially, but he was throwing into triple coverage, could have been picked off two, three, four more times. It was just such an odd performance. That's why I want to go back and rewatch. And, you know, where I'm sitting in the press box, I didn't really have access to a TV at the greatest vantage point. The, 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 the boards there are, are not great at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Not the best. Um, so if, if we're saying things that you guys have seen on TV that is completely making it sound stupid, take that for what it is, but I just want to go back and see like, how did this come to be where it was, where it was this bad, uh, for him to throw into triple coverage so often at the same point, if, 
if the running game succeeds, you can live with your, with your true freshman having this kind of game. Okay, I just I just looked up the stats. The I can't guarantee this because I can't go in and see for sure where these touchdowns came from. And the more recent years, I could remember that there was a special teams touchdown in that or whatever. But can, can, I, can I make a guess? Can you you can make a guess? Yes. Guess the season first. Twenty thirteen. No. Uh, more recent. More recent than that. More recent than that. Yeah. Uh, twenty fifteen. Yes, twenty fifteen. Uh, then it was pro. Oh, it was probably the Oregon game actually, because I think SC scored like garbage time. They scored twenty eight. It was they lost twenty eight to forty eight. But I don't no, know. No, they scored twenty eight. Uh, Dory Jackson had a re- overturn. Yeah. So then before that, Notre Dame. They Notre, Notre Dame thirty one forty one. Again, yeah. I can't guarantee. I can't. I can't verify that those were all offensive touchdowns, but. Again, it's since 2015, and 2015, it was Sark's offense, and Sark had many, many issues, but Sark's offense at least rolled. And this is what is so dang frustrating about this offense, is that we we saw Graham Harrell as the savior, but this offense, the first defense that they faced with a pulse, you see what happened. And that might just be Keaton. I, I'm, I'm going to... I'm gonna, I suspect it's not just Keaton, but well, I will. It's a mixture of everything. It's a mixture. You wrote this on RainerTroy.com. Like it is a mixture of everything. If if one player, one one aspect of this team, offense, defense, special teams, does one thing right more, they probably win this game. But I had this conversation with you in the car. Sorry, Keely. Um, that after the game, talking to everybody, talking to Helton and Brett Nealan and a couple other guys, they were they were all parroting this line about how like. They were just one play better. They were just the one play better than us. One one playmaker better than us. That kind of thing. I call BS because that may be factually correct, but it's not substantively correct. Like that's not what th- this team isn't one play away from being okay. Because you can win this game against BYU in overtime, and we're still having the same conversation. We're not changing our conversation in this car cast. Well, okay. We had this same conversation after the Fresno State game, and they won that game. And I got a text from my mother saying, do you remember that they won that game, right? Okay, so let me throw the caveat here. And th- this is this is looking at it big picture. And we'll talk about this more probably in the Fallout, uh, which is actually going to... We've talked about this before. The Fallout episode and the Utah preview are going to be all one. We're going to record on Tuesday night. That'll go up Wednesday. So take that... Wonky week. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird short week, especially with us traveling... But the, the I, I, I said this, you know, after the game, if SC beats Utah, BYU, the, the loss to BYU matters significantly less. Yes. If SC plays well in these next three games, this game it well, matters significantly less. Let's say, now I'm not expecting this to happen. I'm not throwing this out there into the ether. But if SC puts together a season in which they still win, the Pac-12 or the Pac-12 South or whatever, you'll look back at it and say, yeah, like of all the things, all the places to lose and the way to lose, if you could draw it up perfectly and you could build your perfect 10-2 and two season, right? Losing in overtime on the road to a non-conference opponent like BYU in your freshman quarterback's first road game in which he throws three interceptions, one of them in overtime on a tip pass, all of that is exactly how you want to lose one of those two games. Yeah, ideal way to lose. But that it's it is 
completely banking on the fact that they fix these errors in these next few games. And well, certainly they could, but there's no reason to think that they will. Yes. And so which goes back to what you what you said that, you know, we we see these um these errors and everything and, and yeah, if they just get through this game and you know, we we can we can write it off. If but, they're one but you play can write better, it off at the end of the year. You can't write it off now. Yeah, if the, if you're one play better in this game and you win this game, you're still getting trounced by Utah. Because the reason you were even in overtime against BYU is because you lost the battle in the trenches. And I'm sorry to say this, but BYU is the little brother to Utah when it comes to winning battles in the trenches. I mean, literally. Literally, yes. Yeah. Utah, I mean, you and I watched the, the BYU-Utah game. Utah won that battle in the trenches against this BYU team. Yeah, I I think the biggest takeaway of any of this is, and I think I already said this before, but BYU put out the blueprint for what Utah, Washington, and Notre Dame need to do to shut because down this team. they have the personnel to replicate this easily. 100%. They have the defensive lines to be able to do it, which makes it worrisome because if you can drop everyone into coverage, don't even rush Keaton Slovis, don't even blitz him, just rely on your defensive line to get push. If that's the way to break this offensive down, this offense down because the offensive line is not better than like we thought they were, if that's the case then it's good night nurse for SC in these next three games. So, which makes it really huge. I, I think that this week is the biggest week of the year for the coaching staff because 1000% Graham Harrell needs to come up with an answer to this problem. If the, if teams are just going to drop everybody back and take away the pass, then you need to find a way to get the run game going. Even if you're not getting push. Or find a way to get pushed by getting more numbers with tight ends or with screens or what have you. Because it's the only way you're going to flip this around. Because ideally, yeah, everyone's going to drop back. Sure, you're going to run the ball and have the effective, effectiveness that you had against Fresno State. When they ran the ball with Vimal Pei and he just carved them up for 130-whatever yards he had, right? That's what you ideally want. But if you're not able to get that, you need to find a way to get that. And Graham Harrell's now tasked with doing it on a short week. And I, it's a hell of a test. It's a hell of a t- the, the good news for SC is that it is a short week for Utah, too, even though they're coming off of essentially a bye playing yeah. Idaho State. Um, and Utah doesn't play as well on the road, especially at the Coliseum. So they're, I'm sure, but... That's the great equalizer, isn't it? But, okay, the, the narrative... THT does like a stupid post-game narrative. I think I'm going to throw out like a post-game narrative on Friday night if USC manages to beat Utah. The post-game narrative, whether it's stupid or not, is BYU was a kick in the butt and it was a wake-up call and USC responded to it. That's what a Utah win looks like, is that they needed to to lose in order to reset and 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 make the changes that are really necessary and and go ahead and do that the problem is is that again like all of these narratives yeah sure they they could apply but they don't apply because we know the context that usc is in and we know the context is usc talks about getting better on the on in the trenches they talk the talk but they don't walk the walk in the trenches unless their opponent lets them and stanford as it turns out might just be bad like it's very like Stanford got can we, can we talk beat about up Stanford by UCF. Really quick? So, uh, friend of the pond Ryan Abraham, who he went to LBJ the other day. Yeah, fantastic he, he decision. Got, he got a special, special seat. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, shout out to Ryan Abraham. 
at uscfootball.com. Um, but he has been preaching for months, and especially this week, the idea of the false positive after the Stanford game. Stanford got obliterated by UCF this week, uh, just like SC obliterated them. 45-27, with- and Stanford scored 17 points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so obliterated. Now, how much of this game today do you think is a result of the false pro- positive ringing true? Um, in in the sense that, like, like, did it truly alter the expectations to the point where this game is a letdown because of the Stanford game? No, and and if if not, why? I think the false positive is the truth of what it was because Stanford turned out their defensive line was just bad. And their defense was just bad. And that's that allowed USC's offense to roll. Um, so in that sense, the false positive is true. But I don't think it changes anything about this game. Because if USC struggles against Stanford, Stanford was still a ranked team. Stanford was still a team that we thought was better than they were. And you still go into this game, whether you're a four-point favorite or not, you still go into this game knowing you hold a distinct talent advantage over BYU. And you should go in and still win this game. Because you have that talent advantage. And if you execute, if you play well, you will win that game. So no matter what, it comes down to did USC execute and did USC play well? It really doesn't matter whether or not USC executed and play well, played well against Stanford. USC fans were still going to go into this game saying if they execute and play well, they will win the game. So like, I don't think expectations play a role in the perception of this game. I think it did a little bit. I mean, it altered my prediction for the game, certainly. I think it altered a lot of people's expectations for the season and whatnot. Um, and I think that that's only natural. Uh, and so I, I think that the the false narrative or the false uh, positive is absolutely a factor. Um, but I would say I think we still need more evidence here because Stanford being, in, in a sense that, Stanford being bad, like that—that's not the lone reason why SC was good last week. Because how many times have we seen SC struggle to put away bad teams? And so I still think we learned a lot about what this USC team can be. Uh, and even if it is a false positive for what USC can be, it was the the city on a hill of of the expectations of where you need to get back to and you watch the BYU game and that didn't play out that way. You need to find a way to make these adjustments. Like I'm saying to get back to that. And uh, I think, and I think that they can, I, it's just, I've been quoting, would I bet on it. Hell no. I've been quoting Danny green this whole night, which is, do we have that drop? I don't know. I gotta look for it really quick. Well, I can keep, do, keep talking. I can keep do talking. it even if you don't have it. The they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. Like if you want to crown them, crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. We saw them in the third week of preseason, and everyone knows what the third week of preseason is because they are who we thought they were. Yeah. So USC is who we thought they were. And we tricked ourselves into thinking okay, but, that they but, could but, be what they. No, no hold on, no, hold on, we, hold on, hold on, hold on, We are no, we are also. I told everyone at the at the at the meetup on Friday night, which shout out they to everyone are who, who we thought they were. There, there it go. is. Uh, at the meetup on Friday, I told everyone the problem for USC fans is is that USC fans are suckers. You give USC fans a bone, and they will take it a mile. Like you get, you give USC fans an inch, you they will take it a mile in terms of the of the USC could be good. USC could be really good. And I don't blame them cuz I literally do I mean, the same thing. It's not just SC fans. I mean, I mean everybody does the, that. the national narrative around SC in Texas is the same in Miami. Yeah. 
and Florida State. Is yeah. The, it, are, are they is, back? Are they, are they back? back? Yeah. Are they back? The, the, back? The, yeah. The, the desire to proclaim USC back is very, very strong. So anytime you get a performance that is, well, there they go. This is what they could be. But Michael, that performance, that performance, 2017 Stanford, those are the outliers. That is, that, that is literally, you get that game once a year under, under the cur- current circumstances. So, they are who we thought they were. I'm not going to sit here and say that next week or the week after that or the week after that that you can expect to see USC put something together. They are who we thought they were. And you know what that is? They are a team that might go 7-5 and five because they have talent and they're going to win a game a, a, a game that you don't expect them to win and they're going to lose a couple games that you don't expect them to lose. But the fact of the matter is this team under this administration, they are, they have shown us who they are. And who they are is mediocre, and that is what we need to expect. They are mediocre with the ability to outperform that occasionally and underperform that occasionally, but they will not give you anything close to consistency in terms of of level. So who they are is the inconsistency. So bank on that. Bank on being disappointed by this team because you will be disappointed by the team 90% of the time. So I agree with... They've already 90- had their good performance, Michael. They're not going to put that in again. Okay, hold on. I agree with 99% of what you're saying. But they are who they thought they were applies for two-thirds of this program to me. It applies to the defense. We know that this defense is going to give up uh, between... 20, 20, and 30 points, 20 and 30 points and, and, and they're going to they're going to look really gonna poor look, in some instances they're going to look really good. bad until they force the the field goal they're going to yeah. look re- they're going to like man they're killing this defense and then they're going to force but a field goal but the defense goal. is incredibly resistant consistent Resi- but they are re- the defense resilient, is co- consistent, consistently sure. bad but also consistently resilient which is weird which is weird but they are who they are which who they is are good enough for big and you can back. bank but, on what you're getting from that defense which is why but, i prefer the defense over the offense but the right defense now. is who we thought they were and and i don't think we were expecting anything really different in that sense the the team collectively is who we thought they were and and whatnot the the, the special teams certainly oh, who we thought they Lord. were i mean the wedge penalty to me is <laughs> might be even worse than the, than the than the pen, than the double numbers. I at least understand how the double numbers thing happens. There's no excuse for the wedge. No, like you know that the rule changed. You yeah. know that you cannot do a wedge anymore. You don't it's have to. Not agree. a new rule either. You don't have to agree with the rule. You have to understand that the rule exists. Don't do the wedge. That's on you know that, that that's on John Baxter and somewhere over here I have the drop for that. Can I blame John Baxter for this? Yeah, yeah, you really can. Um, but. In terms of the offense, I think we learned a lot about the offense and about, you know, how they are not in completely infallible. And this was really the opposite of last week. Uh, I think this was maybe the worst that you'll see the offense. And last week was maybe the best. And, uh, and how does this, how does this offense performance get worse? Uh, because they faced Utah and Utah's defense is better than BYU's. But three interceptions, three crucial yeah. interceptions. Yeah, they, they scored. They scored twenty-eight, twenty-seven points. Yeah, I mean, they scored three offensive touchdowns. There is a universe in which they don't score three offensive touchdowns. Yeah, but I still think three offensive touchdowns is about the is about the bottom of the barrel. And, and last week's performance was about the best they could be. Optimistic and the, Michael is in the house. No, I'm not being that optimistic here. I'm saying that the reality is somewhere in the middle and the defense is just going to be about where it is. And so I don't think, I think we learned a lot about the offense that we didn't know. We learned and we just got reinforced about everything else. That's what I'm saying. That's my, the crux of my well, what we The problem is that what we learned about the offense is... And, and by the way, we, we, we say that this offense, 
you know, that, and, and part of the reason that it is that, that I can sit here and say that, that it was so poor and that I can't imagine them getting worse is because that my, I'm still not a believer in the, that Michael Pittman touchdown happened. How did he catch that ball? Michael, I feel bad for, can we talk for a second about Michael Pittman? Like, I love Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman puts this team, like, he, A, he loves playing in Utah, but he does those things where you feel like you're putting, he, he puts your team on his shoulders. He makes me drool. He was doing some Marquise Lee level stuff out there where it's just like the ball was always going to him and he was catching it every time it went to him and he was trying to make a play. He, I thought he got his foot in for that, um, the, the one that they reviewed and they ruled that he was out. I thought he got it in. I haven't seen a really good replay of it, so I can't speak 1000% to it, but it looked like it's a hell of an effort to try and get that in. He makes that touchdown catch. He's out there catching ball, you know, pass after pass. He finishes with nine, nine catches for what was it? 95 yards and two touchdowns. He had more catches than that because the, the ones that got over, overturned and all that. So Michael Pittman's out there balling. Like he, like Michael Pittman put in the work. And it's sad when you don't see that kind of performance paid off, when mistakes everywhere else sort of get in the way. But I like that dude. He's pretty good. I, I also like, and, and this is something I think. Career Clay, high nine catches. I think Clay Helton brought this up. But over the offseason, we talked about who's going to lead this team in, in receiving, right? And we said, well, you're going to have different games where different receivers are the leader. And Clay Helton brought up that, like, yeah, so game one, Amon Ra was the leader. Or sorry, no, game one, Tyler Vons was the yeah. leader. And Last then game week, two Amon was Amon Ra. Ra. And then this week, it's Michael Pittman. It's played out exactly like we thought in, in the context of they're going to try and throw a blanket on one of the, one or two of the receivers and the other one is still right. going to be available. I, I'm still really mad that you think that I'm optimistic all of a sudden. You're I'm being... If you I'm think, really not that on, optimistic. If you think... You can't imagine a world where USC scores less than three offensive touchdowns with this offense, then you are being optimistic because USC... This is not the best defense USC is going to face. This is not the best defense, not by not by okay, far. Okay, sure, and, and and I will give it to you that it's it's a little ridiculous to say that you know SC had a terrible offensive night and still had four hundred and fifty two yards. Yeah, but they but, didn't. But to me, that's a testament to how the offense is actually like. They'll move the ball. That's the prom- That's the promise of this offense. Yeah. is that they could look so poor in this BYU game. Why you and still have 452 is not the defense that Utah is. No, I understand that. I but but to me it's not strictly about the production, it's about the eye test and it's about the Right, but I'm talking about touchdowns. I'm talking about I'm t- purely about touchdowns. Okay. Will USC have a game where they only score 14 points? I think it's that possible, is with them within, within the realm of possibility. I, certainly. Okay, for the rest of the season, I'll make a bet with you right now. I don't know what we're betting, but for the rest of the season, USC will have at least one game where they score two offensive touchdowns. Can I get some conditions? The conditions are USC will have a game where there are only two offensive touchdowns. Okay. Can I get a major injury clause? What? You think Keaton is the major? Who's your major injury, Michael? Uh, if there's a major injury on the offensive line or the quarterback. Well, what is major injury? Is Jalen uh, McKenzie a major injury? Is Drew Richmond a major? Like those are starters. Austin Jackson. If you have Elijah to put, Tucker. If you have to put someone on the offensive line out there that is completely green. Okay. I think that's grounds for and, and that person ends up obviously being the culprit. Okay. A Cyrus hobby situation. Okay. I think I should reasonably 
be able to say, well, that's why SC only scored 14 points against Stanford in 2012. Okay. If we if we can both agree that should, you know, Liam there's Douglas a, a, get thrown in there. Yeah, there's an injury clause. Yeah, there's an injury clause. Fine. Okay. To, within reason. Because USC should still be scored, even if, like, Tyler Vons gets injured, they still right. have the and, horses. And, and I, I, if, if Stephen I, Carr gets injured, they still have the horses. As as long as there's playmakers at receiver and at running back. If gets injured, Matt Fink's my dude. I, I'm telling you, if there's a situation, like a Cyrus Hobby thing. Okay. Then that's... Then we'll that, reconsider. But I will wager that okay. there will be a, at least You're one on. game where they score... No more than two offensive touchdowns. You are on. Okay. No, okay. Now, okay. Let me. Two offensive touchdowns. So now, let's say SC scores twenty six points, but only two offensive touchdowns. Two offensive touchdowns. As they're settling for field folks, goals, folks. It's getting a little tough here. Two because offensive touchdowns. I could see a game in which SC scores. Uh, Where Chase McGrath is out there hitting f- and five, five field goals. Field goals? Yeah. Well, is that a good offensive performance? Uh, who are you playing? Are you playing Notre Dame on the road? And your defense yeah, holds the twenty-four. Stop trying to get out of this. Stop trying to I'm get out of taking, this, Michael. I, I'm taking the bet. Take take the bet. the bet. Keep it simple. Take the bet. All right, uh, we're gonna end right there. We literally just got a got a tweet from Chris NY six NYE six, who says, "Hey, let's move our ass on that carcast." <laughs> so yeah, we're asses are moving. All right, we're going. All right, we're, we're gonna end this there. Uh, we want to thank everyone for coming out to the meetup on Friday night at Hoppers in Midvale. It was seriously the coolest thing. Uh, so many people showed up. So many awesome people. Way uh, more than we yeah. were prepared for. Yeah. Uh, but it all worked out in the end. It was awesome to have that many people come out and be able to like just chill with, with all of these great like Trojans. It was just so cool. Like The, the community is just so cool. Yeah, 100%. Back so. when we were all a little bit more innocent and a little bit more optimist, uh, optimistic. It was a grand old time, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, back yeah. in the day. Back in the day there. But then all of a sudden this game... Impr- I, I don't even... Why are you suddenly like I don't know. a crocodile hunter or something? Crocodile hunter? I yeah, you know. said you were putting on the Steve Irwin I, I right didn't there. go into Foster's Australian for beer. <laughs> I didn't do that. No. Are you making a Ben Griffiths reference that are just trying to hurt me? No, I didn't, I didn't want to come up short. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap it there. Uh, we will be back again on Wednesday, recording on Tuesday night. It's going to be the BYU... Uh, Fallout slash Utah preview episode to get you into and ready for the Utah game on Friday night at the Coliseum, 6 p.m. on Espen, I think. Yeah, Espen. Uh, no, it's on Fox, Big Fox. Uh, might not even be on Big Fox. Might be on FS1. I'm just going to shut up right now. There are only so many channels that will have it on yeah. Friday night. But uh, be sure to subscribe to us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy, because there's so much content that is coming to you in the meantime, including Alicia's rewatch. She's going to rewatch the game, and then she's going to record it. You, you do. And then you're going to record this podcast and called the rewatch, in which you're going to be like, actually, I... I it wasn't that bad. In actually. the grand scheme of things, it's really not that bad. Yeah, th- that's what that's going to be the new name of the rewatch, uh, is... In the grand scheme of things, it's really not that bad. It's a little bit of a long title, but we can work with it. It, it kind of works. Uh, five fifty-five a month to get all our bonus episodes. Patreon.com slash Troy. That is where you can subscribe. We're also going to record a fan cast with our pals, the Daves, here in Utah. 
yeah, who we are making stay up quite late because it's quite late on this podcast. It's only 8.30. It is oh, wait, not 8.30. 8.30 LA time. Yeah. I forgot about the time change. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. See ya. See ya. See ya. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.